Pharmacodynamics describes the relationship between the effect site concentration and the clinical effect. Pharmacokinetics describes the relationship between drug dose and plasma concentration. Pharmacokinetics can be thought of what the body does to the drug. It explains the relationship between the dose that you administer and the drug's plasma concentration over time. This relationship is affected by absorption, distribution, metabolism, and elimination. Pharmacodynamics can be thought of what the drug does to the body. It explains the relationship between the effect site, concentration, and the clinical effect. Concepts you must understand. In pharmacokinetics, understand volume of distribution, half-lives, metabolism, enzyme induction and inhibition, clearance, steady state, context-sensitive half-time, degree of ionization, protein binding, and ion trapping. In pharmacodynamics, you must understand potency, efficacy, dose-response curve slope, agonist-antagonist, partial agonist, inverse agonist, ED50, LD50, therapeutic index, and stereochemistry. The dose-response curve illustrates the relationship between the drug dose and its clinical effect. It tells us about potency, efficacy, and slope. Potency is represented by the x-axis. It is the dose required to achieve a given clinical effect. Potency is affected by absorption, distribution, metabolism, elimination, and receptor affinity. The ED50 and ED90 are measures of potency. They represent the dose required to achieve a given effect in 50% and 90% of the population, respectively. The curve shifts to the left with increased affinity for the receptor, meaning higher potency and lower dose required. The curve shifts to the right with a decreased affinity for the receptor, meaning a lower potency and higher dose required. Potency becomes clear when we compare two drugs. For example, drug A compared to drug B. Both are excellent analgesics that share similar efficacy, aka they reach the same height on the y-axis. Drug is more potent than drug B, and this explains why the curve for drug B is shifted to the right. Efficacy is the measure of the intrinsic ability of a drug to elicit a given clinical effect. The height of the plateau on the y-axis represents efficacy. A higher plateau implies a greater efficacy, while a lower plateau reflects a lower efficacy. Once the plateau phase is reached, additional drug does not produce additional effect. Additional drug will increase the risk of toxicity. Efficacy becomes clear when comparing two drugs. For example, comparing drug A and drug B. Although both drugs provide analgesia, drug A does a better job. It is more efficacious. If we compare the dose-response curves of these drugs, we would see that drug A's plateau would be higher on the y-axis than that of drug B. Also, the drug B curve is shifted to the right because it is less potent than drug A. The slope tells us how many of the receptors must be occupied to elicit a clinical effect. A steep slope implies that most of the receptors must be occupied before we observe the clinical response. Once the effect is observed, small increases in the dose can have profound clinical effect. Neuromuscular blockers and inhaled anesthetics have a steep slope. Individual variability. 
A particular dose may provide an excellent clinical effect in one patient but offer no benefit in another. Difference between pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics between patients explains individual variability. You need dose response curves for multiple patients to get an accurate representation of individual variability. A drug that binds to a receptor follows the law of mass action. There is a rate constant for drug binding, K1, and a rate constant for dissociation from the receptor, K2. The law of max action states, concentration of drug plus concentration of receptor yields drug receptor complex. Following the rate of K1 and K2 for the constant rate of dissociation and binding. Drugs may be classified on their degree of efficacy. Remember that efficacy is measured by the height of the y-axis and the dose-response curve. A full agonist binds to a receptor and turns on a specific cellular response. A full agonist mimics an endogenous ligand. A full agonist instructs the receptor to produce its maximal response. Different drugs may produce the same clinical effect, but each may require a different dose to do so. This is a different potency. Continuous administration of an, an of an agonist may cause downregulation of target receptors. Examples are norepinephrine is a full agonist at the beta receptor. Other examples of full agonists are dopamine, propofol, and alfentanil. A partial agonist binds to a receptor, but is only capable of partially turning on a cellular response. It is less efficacious than a full agonist. A partial agonist is also called an agonist antagonist. It can block the effects of an agonist by competing for binding sites. For example, giving a partial opioid agonist to an opioid-addicted patient can precipitate withdrawal. Example, now beefing provides pain relief, but there is a ceiling to its efficacy. Antagonist. The antagonist sits on the receptor and prevents an agonist from binding, from binding to it. It does not tell the cell to do anything. By definition, it does not have an efficacy. Continuation Continuous administration of an antagonist may cause upregulation of target receptors. Competitive antagonism. Competitive antagonism is reversible. If a patient receives a competitive antagonist, the dose response curve for the agonist shifts to the right. Increasing the concentration of the agonist can overcome competitive antagonism. The agonist can achieve the same efficacy but since it requires more drug molecules to achieve the desired clinical effect, the dose-response curve would reflect a reduction in potency. Example, rocuronium competes with acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction. Increasing the concentration of one substance increases its ability to compete for the binding site on the receptor. Examples of competitive antagonists include atropine and vecuronium. Non-competitive antagonism. Non-competitive antagonism is not reversible. Non-competitive antagonism permanently binds to a receptor, usually through covalent bonds, and their effects cannot be overcome by increasing concentration of agonists. This shifts the dose-response curve for the agonist down, so that it resembles a partial agonist. 
The effects of a non-competitive antagonist can only be reversed by producing new receptors. This explains why drugs that have long durations of actions. Example, aspirin inhibits the COX-1 enzyme for the entire life of the platelet. Inverse agonist binds to the receptor and causes an opposite effect to that of a full agonist. It has a negative efficacy. Many drugs that were previously believed to be antagonists are actually inverse agonists. For example, epinephrine is a full agonist and binds to the beta-1 receptor to increase CAMP. Propranolol is an inverse agonist and binds to the beta-1 receptor to decrease CAMP. Putting it all together. Let's look at a hypothetical receptor. It is a G protein that modulates CAMP production. An agonist completely activates the receptor and increases CAMP production. A partial agonist partially activates the receptor. It increases CMP production, CAMP production, but not as much as the full agonist. An inverse agonist activates the receptor, but because it causes the opposite effect of the agonist, it decreases CAMP production. An antagonist blocks the ability of the agonist to bind with the receptor, but it does not increase or decrease CAMP production. What happens when we administer drugs together? The presence of one drug can have a profound effect on the behavior of a second drug. Here are four concepts you need to know. Addition. Effect of two drugs given at the same time are added to each other. 1 plus 1 equals 2. Synergism. Effect of two drugs given at the same time results in a greater than the sum of their individual effects. 1 plus 1 equals 3. Potentiation. Effect of one drug is enhanced by a drug that has no effect of its own. 1 plus 0 equals 3. Antagonism. Simultaneously, administration of one drug cancels out the effect of a second drug. 1 plus 1 equals 0. The effective dose 50 is the dose that produces the expected clinical response in 50% of the population. This is a measure of potency. The lethal dose 50 is the dose that will produce death in 50% of the population. When we index the ED50 and the LD50, we can determine the mean therapeutic safety margin for desired clinical effect. Therapeutic index is a measure of drug safety. It is the ratio of the LD50 to the ED50. Therapeutic index equals lethal dose 50 over effective dose 50. A drug with a narrow therapeutic index has a narrow margin of safety. Examples include volatile anesthetics and chemotherapy. A drug with a wide therapeutic index has a wide margin of safety. Moving on to pharmacokinetics. Volume of distribution. The volume of distribution describes the relationship between a drug's plasma concentration following a specific dose. It is a theoretical measure of how a drug distributes throughout the body. VD assumes two things. One, the drug distributes instantaneously. Full equilibrium occurs at T equals zero. Two, the drug is not subjected to biotransformation or elimination before, before it fully distributes. VD is a calculated value. It is not something we can directly measure. VD is equal to amount of drug over desired plasma concentration. Concentration is a measure of amount per volume. A drug is in its most concentrated form before we administer it to the patient. When the drug enters the bloodstream, it becomes diluted, and as the drug 
penetrates the tissues, it becomes even more diluted. To provide context, let's review the distribution of body water in a 70 kilogram patient. Total body water is 42 liters, intracellular fluid is 28 liters, and extracellular fluid is 14 liters. Of the extracellular fluid, interstitial fluid is 10 liters and plasma volume is 4. A drug with a VD that exceeds total body water or greater than 0.6 liters per kilogram or 42 liters is assumed to be lipophilic. It distributes into the total body water as well as into fat. It will require a higher dose to achieve a given plasma concentration. For example, pro propofol has a very large VD. Conversely, a drug with a VD that is less than total body water or less than 0.6 liters per kilogram or less than 42 liters is assumed to be hydrophilic. It distributes into some or all of the body water, but it does not distribute into fat. It will require a lower dose to achieve a given plasma concentration. For example, neuromuscular blockers are restricted to the ECF and have a comparatively small volume of distribution. Volume of distribution is affected by drug characteristics such as molecular size, ionization, protein binding, and patient characteristics such as pregnancy and burns. We can rearrange this formula to calculate the loading dose that will provide a predetermined plasma concentration. As you can see from the equation, the higher the volume of distribution, the higher the loading dose must be to give a predetermined plasma concentration. Loading dose is equal to the volume of distribution times the desired plasma concentration divided by bioavailability. For an IV medication, bioavailability is equal to 1, since it is injected directly into the bloodstream. A drug administered by any other route may not be absorbed completely and or it may be subjected to the first pass metabolism in the liver. These conditions reduce bioavailability and explain why the dose that achieves a given plasma concentration is dependent on the route of administration. Clearance is the volume of plasma that is cleared of a drug per unit time. Clearance is directly proportional to blood flow to the clearing organ, extraction ratio, and drug dose. Clearance is inversely proportional to half-life and drug concentration in the central compartment. For our purposes, the most important clearing organs include the liver, kidney, and organ independent such as Hoffman elimination and ester hydrolysis in the plasma. The concept of clearance is vital when calculating a continuous infusion or determining a dosing interval. To maintain a steady state concentration in the plasma, the infusion rate or dosing interval must equal the rate of drug cleared by metabolism and elimination. Steady state rate of administration is equal to rate of elimination. Steady state occurs when the amount of drug entering the body is equivalent to the amount of drug being eliminated from the body. There is a stable plasma concentration. Each of the compartments has equilibrated, although the total amount of drug may be different in different compartments. Steady state is achieved after five half-lives. What is the difference between half-life and half-time? Elimination half-life is the time that it takes for 50% of the drug to be removed from the body after rapid IV injection. Elimination half-time is the time it takes for 50% of the drug to be removed from the plasma during the elimination phase. 
When the rate of drug removal from the plasma is not the same as the rate of drug removal from the body, the elimination half-life and half-times will be different. Note that the concepts are very similar. So similar, in fact, that some of the texts don't even make this distinction and only use the term half-life. Don't get bogged down by this. Learn to apply the general concept. How long until the drug is eliminated? By convention, we say that a drug has been cleared from the body when 96.9% of the dose has been eliminated from the plasma. This occurs after five half-times. At half-time zero, 0% of drug is eliminated and 100% is remaining. At half-time one, 50% of drug is eliminated and 50% is remaining. Half-time two, 75% is eliminated and 25% is remaining. Half-time three, 87.5% eliminated, 12.5 remains. Half-time four, 93.75% is eliminated and 6.25% is remaining. Finally, half-time five, 96.875% is eliminated and 3.125% remains. The half-time measures a constant fraction and not a constant amount. It takes the same period of time for the plasma concentration of a drug to fall from 200 mg per liter to 100 mg per liter as it does for the same drug to fall from 50 mg per liter to 25 mg per liter. Ionization describes the process where a molecule gains a positive or negative charge and this molecular change affects a molecule's ability to diffuse through lipid membranes. Remember that like dissolves like. An acid donates a hydrogen ion, and a base accepts a hydrogen ion. What is the difference between a strong and a weak acid or base? If you put a strong acid or base in water, it will completely ionize. If you put a weak acid or a weak base in water, a fraction of it will be ionized and the remaining fraction will be unionized. Ionization describes process where a molecule gains a positive or negative charge, and this molecule change affects molecules' ability to diffuse through lipid membranes. The amount of ionization is dependent on two things, the pH of the solution and the pKa of the drug. When pH and pKa are the same, 50% of the drug will be ionized and 50% will be unionized. Small changes in pH can have a very profound impact on the degree of ionization. This is more pronounced if the pKa and pH are very close to each other. It is less significant in the P- if the pKa is very far from the pH. Molecules that are ionized are hydrophilic and lipophobic. They are not active, less likely to undergo hepatic biotransformation and more likely to undergo renal elimination. They do not diffuse across the lipid bilayer, including the blood-brain barrier, GI tract, and placenta. Unionized molecules are hydrophobic and lipophilic. They have an active pharmacological effect. They are more likely to undergo hepatic biotransformation and less likely to undergo renal elimination. They diffuse across lipid bilayer including the blood-brain barrier, GI tract, and placenta. What happens when we put weak acids and bases in a solution? Just remember that like dissolves like. 
An acid in a basic solution. An acidic drug will be highly ionized in a basic pH. The acidic drug wants to donate proteins or protons, and the basic drug wants to accept protons. The acidic drug happily donates its protons and will become ionized. An acidic drug in an acidic solution will be highly unionized. The acidic drug wants to donate proteins, and the acidic solution wants to do the same. Since there are no proton acceptors, the acidic drug retains its proton and will remain unionized. A basic drug in an acidic solution will be highly ionized. The basic drug wants to accept proteins, and the acidic solution wants to donate them. The basic drug happily accepts. A basic drug will be highly unionized in a basic solution. The basic drug wants to accept protons, and the basic solution wants to do the same. Since there are no proton donors, the basic drug will remain unprotonated and will remain unionized. Most of the drugs that we give are weak acids or bases. Ionization affects the drug's, drug's pharmacologic activity as well as its ability to pass through cell membranes. Drugs are usually prepared as a salt that dissociates in solution. A weak acid is paired with a positive ion such as sodium, calcium, or magnesium, such as sodium theopental. And a weak base is paired with a negative ion, such as chloride or sulfate, such as lidocaine hydrochloride. Imagine two different solutions separated by a lipid bilayer. The solution on the left side has a pH of 7.4, and the solution on the right side has a pH of 5.4. Only the lipophilic, unfractionized, or unionized fraction of a drug will freely diffuse across the cell membrane. After it does, it will ionize according to its pKa and the pH of the solution on the side of the membrane. Therefore, the drug concentration as well as the degree of ionization will be different on each side of the membrane. A classic example of ion trapping is between a mother and a fetus. If the mother receives an IV injection of lidocaine with a pKa of 7.9, the unionized fraction freely diffuses across the placenta. Fetal pH is normally a little lower than the maternal pH. Since a weak base has entered a more acidic environment, there will be greater degree of ionization inside the fetus. Since the, ion since the ionized lidocaine cannot freely cross the placenta back to the mother, it becomes trapped inside the fetus. Furthermore, the concentration gradient for unionized lidocaine favors the passage of even more unionized lidocaine into the fetus. As the fetus becomes distressed, it becomes more acidotic, which traps even more lidocaine within it. A vicious cycle ensues. Maternal alkalosis increases the unionized fraction in the maternal circulation. More lidocaine is available to diffuse across the placenta. Fetal acidosis increases the ionized fraction inside the fetus. Therefore, a combination of maternal alkalosis and fetal acidosis creates the strongest diffusion gradient. Plasma protein binding. Plasma proteins are synthesized by the liver. They are too large to pass through cell membranes and therefore remain confined to the circulation. You can think of plasma proteins as an intravascular drug storage compartment. The drug and protein form a weak bond, such as an ionic, hydrogen, or van der Waals bond. A drug bound to a plasma protein cannot bind to a receptor, so any bound drug can be considered inert. 
only when the drug is released from the protein is it able to affect the body. Plasma proteins include albumin, alpha-1 acid glycoprotein, and beta-globulin. Albumin is the most plentiful plasma protein. It is the primary determinant of plasma oncotic pressure. The half-life of albumin is three weeks. Albumin serves as a measurement of protein synthesis. It will reflect chronic but not acute changes. Albumin carries a negative charge and primarily binds to acidic drugs. However, it also binds to some neutral and basic drugs. Alpha-1 acid glycoprotein binds to basic drugs as well as beta-globulin. Conditions that alter plasma protein concentration. Albumin will be decreased in liver disease, renal disease, old age, malnutrition, and pregnancy. Alpha-1 acid glycoprotein will be increased with surgical stress, myocardial infarction, chronic pain, rheumatoid arthritis, and advanced age. Alpha-1 acid glycoprotein will be decreased in neonates and pregnancy. Changes in plasma protein binding. Alterations in plasma protein binding can theoretically affect a drug's therapeutic effect. For drugs that are highly bound to plasma proteins, we must conceptualize the drug and the unbound we must conceptualize the bound and the unbound fractions. Only the unbound fraction or the free fraction of a drug is available to cross lipid membranes where the drug can ultimately engage in receptor engage its receptor and exert its physiologic effect. The concentration of free drug plus unbound protein binding sites yields bound drug. If a drug is 98% bound and the bound fraction is reduced to 96%, the unbound or free fraction is, has increased by 100%. Said another way, if the free fraction is 2% and it increases to 4%, then the free fraction has increased by 100%. Clinically, this would manifest as an observed increase in potency. Changes in protein binding can result from decreased plasma protein content or competition for binding sites on the protein. Decreased plasma protein, reduced synthetic function such as in liver disease and malnutrition, increased protein excretion such as in renal disease, and altered distribution such as in third trimester or pregnancy. Competition for binding sites. There are clinically there are no clinically relevant interactions that result from competition for binding sites. If a drug is displaced from the plasma protein, its serum concentration will rise. During this time, the drug is subjected to a higher rate of metabolism and elimination. Steady state between the bound and unbound fractions will be reestablished after five half-lives have elapsed. Other important facts. Volume of distribution is inversely related to the degree of plasma protein binding. Highly protein-bound drugs typically have a slower rate of metabolism and elimination. Alterations in plasma protein binding can be a problem during cardiopulmonary bypass due to hemodilution and or heparin administration as well as in ECMO circuits. Even bilirubin and thyroxine can displace drugs from protein-binding protein sites. Although these restrictions are rare, they are clinically relevant. Kinetic models help us depict a drug's plasma concentration over time. Zero-order kinetics describes a situation where a constant amount of the drug is metabolized per unit time. 
First order kinetics describes a situation where a constant fraction of the drug is metabolized per unit time. For the majority of drugs, the rate of metabolism is dependent on two factors. One, the concentration of the drug at the site of metabolism. This is influenced by blood flow to the site of metabolism. Two, the intrinsic rate of the metabolic process. This is influenced by genetics, enzyme induction, and enzyme inhibition. Kinetic models take into account that there is a finite quantity of enzymes available to metabolize the drug. Zero-order kinetics, constant amount of time, constant amount of drug eliminated per time. Zero-order kinetics describes the situation where there is more drug than enzyme. The biotransformation process becomes saturated. Not enough enzyme is available to metabolize all of the drug that is delivered to it. The enzyme will metabolize a constant amount per unit time. Think of a bus or enzyme and people at the bus stop, the drug molecules. The bus only has 10 seats, so it can only pick up 10 passengers at a time. No matter how many people are standing in line, only 10 can ride the bus at a given time. The concentration scale on the y-axis is linear. Examples of drugs that follow zero-order kinetics are aspirin, phenytoin, alcohol, warfarin, heparin, and theophylline. First-order kinetics, constant, amount of, constant fraction of drug eliminated per unit time. First-order kinetics describes the situation where there is less drug than enzyme. No saturation occurs. The enzyme will metabolize a constant fraction per unit time. The concentration scale on the y-axis is measured as a log concentration. Just about all drugs we administer follow first-order kinetics. It is possible for a drug that follows first-order kinetics to change to zero-order kinetics if the enzymatic pathway becomes saturated. Drug metabolism is divided into three phases. Phase 1 is modification and includes oxidation, reduction, and hydrolysis. Phase two is conjugation, and phase three is excretion. Metabolism, otherwise known as biotransformation, is the enzymatic process of altering the chemical structure of a molecule. The liver is the primary organ of metabolism. The hepatic microsomal enzymes of the P450 system are generally confined to the smooth endoplasmic reticulum, although they are present in the kidney and the GI tract. The plasma is another important site of drug metabolism. Key reactions include Hoffman elimination, which is pH and temperature dependent, as well as hydrolysis re reactions catalyzed by nonspecific plasma esterases and pseudocolonesterase. The primary role of metabolism is to change a lipid-soluble, pharmacologically active compound into a water-soluble, pharmacally inactive byproduct. Creating molecules with greater water solubility increases ionization and decreases their volume of distribution. In turn, this increases their delivery to the kidneys for elimination. Since the molecule is ionized, it will be eliminated in the urine instead of undergoing reabsorption from the renal tubule. The GI tract is capable of elimination as well. If the body was unable to change a lipid-soluble drug into a water-soluble byproduct, the lipid-soluble drug would be continuously reabsorbed by the renal tubules into the pericapillary fluid and returned to the plasma. The drug could theoretically remain in the body for a very long time.
It should be noted that sometimes the body converts an inactive molecule into a pharmacologically active molecule. This is called a prodrug. Phospropofol is a prodrug that is metabolized by alkylene phosphatases to its active metabolite propofol. Again, there are three phases of metabolism, modification, conjugation, and elimination. Phase 1, modification. Phase 1 reactions result in a small molecular change that increases the polarity or water solubility of a molecule to prepare it for a phase 2 reaction. It creates a location on the molecule that will allow the phase 2 reaction to take place. Most phase 1 biotransformations are carried out by the P450 system. There are three phase, phase 1 reactions that you should understand. Oxidation adds an oxygen molecule to a compound. Reduction adds electrons to a compound. Hydrolysis adds water to a compound to split it apart, usually an ester. Phase 2 is conjugation. The phase 2 reaction conjugates, or adds on, an endogenous highly polar water-soluble substrate to the molecule. This results in water-soluble, biologically inactive molecule ready for excretion. Common substrates for conjugation include glucuronic acid, glycine, acetic acid, sulfuric acid, or a methyl group. Some drugs do not require preparation by phase 1 reactions and may proceed directly to phase 2 reactions. Enterohepatic circulation. Some conjugated compounds are excreted in the bile reactivated in the intestine, and then reabsorbed into the systemic circulation. Diazepam is an example of a drug that undergoes enterohepatic circulation. Phase 3 is elimination. Phase 3 elimination involves ATP-dependent carrier proteins that transport drugs across cell membranes. These are present in the kidney, liver, and GI tract. Hepatic clearance is the product of liver blood flow, and hepatic extraction ratio. Liver blood flow is how much is delivered to the liver and a hepatic extraction ratio is how much is removed by the liver. The extraction ratio is a measure of how much drug is delivered to the clearing organ versus how much drug is removed by that organ. Extraction ratio equals arterial concentration minus venous concentration divided by arterial concentration. An extraction ratio of 1 means that 100% of the drug delivered to the clearing organ is removed. ER of 0.5 means that 50% of the drug delivered to the clearing organ is removed. Hepatic clearance is categorized as flow-limited elimination or capacity-limited elimination. Flow-limited elimination has an extraction ratio of greater than 0.7. For a drug with a high hepatic extraction ratio, clearance is dependent on liver blood flow. Hepatic blood flow greatly exceeds enzymatic activity, so alterations in hepatic enzyme activity has little effect. Increased liver blood flow will increase the drug's clearance, and decreased liver blood flow will decrease the drug's clearance. Capacity-limited elimination has an ER of less than 0.3. For a drug with a low hepatic extraction ratio, clearance is dependent on the ability of the liver to extract drug from the blood. Changes in hepatic enzyme activity or protein binding have a profound impact on the clearance of these drugs. Since only a small amount of drug is removed per unit time, alterations in liver blood flow minimally affect clearance.
Changes in the liver's intrinsic ability to remove drug from the blood is influenced by the amount of enzyme present. Enzyme induction leads to increased clearance, and enzyme inhibition leads to decreased clearance. When administered orally, high extraction ratio drugs are subject to first-pass metabolism. After the drug is absorbed from the GI tract, it delivers the it is delivered to the portal circulation, where a portion of it is metabolized before the drug can reach the biophase. The oral drug must be adju adjusted upwards to compensate for this effect. This explains the discrepancies between oral and IV dose regimens. The P450 system is the most important mechanism of drug biotransformation in the body. You may see it called the mixed function oxidase symptom, system or monooxygenases. It carries out most of the body's phase 1 biotransformations. It also contributes in <clears throat> it also contributes in some conjugation reactions. The P450 enzymes are located in smooth endoplasmic particulum of the hepatocyte. They are also located in the extrahepatic tissue such as the lung, kidney, skin, adrenal gland and GI tract. Genetic polymorphisms contribute to variations in enzyme efficiency from person to person. CYP variants. CYP3A4 is the most common or most important cytochrome P450 enzyme, metabolizing nearly 50% of the drugs that we administer. CYP2D6 also has important clinical implications. While there are over 20 different P450 enzymes, we believe that you should have a basic understanding of CYP3A4 and CYP2D6. A unique feature of the P450 system is that the exogenous chemicals can influence the expression of these genes. This can be a significant source of drug interactions. An enzyme inducer stimulates the synthesis of an additional enzyme. This increases drug clearance and reduces the half-life. Enzyme inhibitor competes for binding sites on the enzyme. Since there are fewer binding sites available, drug clearance is reduced and half-life is increased. Enzyme inducers. Inducers increase clearance. Decreases drug plasma level. Dose increase may be required. Example of enzyme inducers are tobacco, tobacco smoke, barbiturates, ethanol, phenytoin, rifampamine, and carbamazepine. Enzyme inhibitors inhibit and inhibitors decrease drug clearance and they increase drug plasma level. Dose decrease may be required. Enzyme inhibitors include grapefruit juice, somatidine, omeprazole, isoniazid, SSRIs, erythromycin, and ketoconazole. Renal elimination. Elimination of metabolic waste into the urine is a key function of the kidney. A drug's fate is determined by its polarity and the pH of the glomerular fluid. Hydrophilic drugs will be excreted unchanged. Lipophilic drugs must first undergo biotransformation reactions to increase their water solubility before they can be excreted by the kidneys. Lipophilic drugs that have not undergone biotransformation will be absorbed into the paratubular fluid by diffusion. There are two processes that deliver drug to the urine, glomerular filtration and organic ion transporters. Glomerular filtration. Drugs not bound to plasma proteins will be freely filtered by the glomerulus. 
Drugs that are highly protein-bound are resistant to glomerular filtration. Only the free fraction will be filtered. Organic anion and cation transporters. Transport proteins located in the proximal renal tubules actively secrete organic acids and bases into the urine. Organic anion transporters, or OATs, transport furosemide, thiazide diuretics, and penicillin. Organic cation transporters transport morphine, meperidine, and dopamine. Urine pH influences whether drugs are excreted in the urine or reabsorbed into the paratubular capillaries. Remember that like dissolves like. Acidic, fa acidic urine favors the reabsorption of acidic drugs and excretion of basic drugs. Basic urine favors the reabsorption of basic drug and the excretion of acidic drugs. Acid drugs are better absorbed in an acid medium. Basic drugs are better absorbed in a basic medium. How to alter urine pH. Ammonium chloride or cranberry juice will acidify the urine to help eliminate basic drugs. Sodium bicarb or acetazolamide will alkalize the urine to help eliminate acidic drugs. Key equations to remember. The amount of drug in the body is equal to bioavailability times the dose, or F times D. Rate of drug administration into the body is equal to F times D over T. pH minus pKa is equal to the log, over, log of the base over the acid. The volume of distribution is the amount of drug in the body over the concentration. F times D is equal to VD times C. Rate of elimination is equal to clearance times concentration. Clearance is equal to rate of elimination divided by concentration. KEL equals 0.693 over the half-life. KEL also equals clearance over volume of distribution. Therefore, half-life equals 0.693 times VD divided by clearance. Total clearance is the sum of hepatic and renal clearance. The rate of drug eliminated by the kidney is equal to renal clearance times the concentration. Renal clearance is equal to the rate of elimination by the kidney divided by concentration. Renal clearance also equals urine flow times urinary concentration divided by plasma concentration. Renal clearance also equals percent of the drug excreted in the urine times the clearance. Renal clearance is the total of glomerular filtration clearance plus tubular secretion clearance minus the reabsorption. Glomerular filtration clearance is equal to the percent of drug unbound in the plasma multiplied by GFR. Renal plasma flow is equal to 0.65 liters per minute or 650 milliliters per minute or 39 liters per hour. The clearance of a drug cannot surpass the renal plasma flow. Normal adult GFR is about 130 milliliters per minute or 7.8 liters per hour. Hepatic blood flow is 1.5 liters per minute or 90 liters per hour. Hepatic clearance is equal to metabolism plus biliary clearance. For most drugs, hepatic clearance is equal to metabolism clearance. The rate of metabolism is equal to Vmax times C over Km plus C.
steady state rate equation, F times D over T is equal to CL times CSS.